Good morning, Graham. Well, this next Sunday is daylight savings time, so that means spring forward. It means we'll see some people in the second service that we don't normally see in the second service. I want to invite you to take your Bible this morning and uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. You will find that um, on page, let's see here. Page 978 in the uh, Bible that you have in the seat in front of you. Say, I'm going to be uh, pretty much each Sunday between services, after services. I'll be sitting over by that door. I'm sitting because I, um, I had knee surgery this past year and had some complications with it and need to have a second knee surgery. But I don't want to be an interim pastor that's just here in your lives on Sunday, if there is a day during the week, uh, this week or even today, that you want to meet, just come by and let me know, and, and we'll get it down so that uh, we, can, we can talk together. Now, life is not an equal opportunity employer, but life does give each of us the opportunity to get hurt. And so, I do want us to talk about how do we get the grace of God to deal with the hurts that we experience. Let me just remind you, next week I'm going to be preaching on the servant attitude of Christ. Philippians 2 says, let this attitude be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider his equality with God something to be taken advantage of, but came as a servant to die even on the cross. The story doesn't end there, though. It says, therefore, God has raised him up, and the day is coming that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You've already heard this morning that uh, Good Friday services at 6. We're going to have some invitation cards coming up for Easter for those three services, Pastor Johnny's going to be bringing the word. And I'm, I'm praying that some people come to Christ here at Graham and that in the weeks after Resurrection Day, after Easter, we hear about lives that are changed. So we'll be praying for that uh, in the special service on Sunday night, March 19th. All right, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 29 through 32, here at the end of the chapter, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt, corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion so that it may give grace to those who hear it. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Let me just suggest that maybe malice is seething, continual anger. Now, here's our key thought for this morning. Verse 32, be kind to one another tenderhearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So what we've got in this verse is a command. Be kind, be loving, be tender-hearted, forgiving. But God doesn't just give us commands. He gives us an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then as we come to the communion service before our baptism, we want to talk about the benefits, the result of the freedom of forgiveness. Now the Bible word forgive, whether it's Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek, it means to let go, to loose. I ask you to remember that because there's a quiz on that in 18 minutes. Not really. But here's forgiveness, let go, to let loose. I got saved back in the 1960s. Some of you remember that in those days, some of us uh, were slapping on our cars the old bumper sticker, God loves you. Have you seen the newer one? God loves you, and I'm trying, because uh, we're not in the sweet by and by yet, we're in the nasty now and now, and the reality is there is a need at times to forgive. So last week we looked at this classic story of the prodigal son and I suggested that really more than the misdeeds of the son who dissed dad and went away, the emphasis is really on what God is like as seen in the forgiving father. Jesus told a story about a king who had an employee that racked up something like a $10 million debt. Depending on the commentary that you read, the amount might uh, differ a little bit. But here's the point. This king forgave his employee a debt that the guy could never have paid back. There's the point. This ungrateful employee who had been forgiven a lifetime debt went out and accosted his own servant who owed him something like a $20 debt. And uh, Scripture says he, he grabbed him and, and choked him and said, pay up or I'll throw you in prison. And, and the guy said, I can't pay. Actually, he probably said, I can't pay. And... Um, when the king, who had forgiven this $10 million debt, heard that his ungrateful servant would not forgive the 20-buck debt, well, the old King James says he was wroth. That means he was not happy. He was angry. It's a picture of God, the king, forgiving us that which we could never repay. And our need then in response to forgive others. There's an old country song, Christ paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Now, what I'm going to say next will bless you. I'll probably never sing again here at Graham. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Christ paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. 
I needed someone to wash my sins away. Now, the parallel verse to our text in Ephesians is Colossians 3. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Augustine, some say Augustine, was a a great 4th century church leader in North Africa. He wrote, Whatever victories we may have achieved in the battle to overcome and control our passion, the time will never come this side of the grave when there will be no need to plead, forgive us our debts. Augustine is saying, doesn't matter how much you grow in Christ-likeness, in sanctification, how much maturity, we'll never in this world get to the place where we don't have to continue to pray, Father, forgive us our trespasses, our debts. So we read earlier in the worship service this morning, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, it literally reads, we make Him out to be a liar. Because He says, even though we are forgiven, we still struggle with our sins. And then He is faithful to forgive. This is how we'd like to treat others that hurt us. (laughs) Have you seen the penguins before? I will confess I have sat in front of my computer and just fantasized about smacking some people. In love, of course, in Christian love, you know. Well, not really, but (laughs) that's the way we'd like to do it. That's not the way God says we are to do it going to tell you a strange true story. A student of mine drew these pictures for me. There's this kid who grew up in all his teen years. He wanted to have the fastest boat on the lake. He fantasized about having the quickest boat in his area. And so he saved his money and in his young 20s he actually got a high-powered speedboat. He hooked it up to his dad's SUV. He took it to the lake. Oh, he was excited to show off. And when he got there, it wouldn't work. By the way, these are not Graham Community Church words up here. He was not a happy camper. He checked to make sure he had gas in the tank. He made sure the line wasn't kinked. And even with the throttle pushed all the way forward, the best he could do was about five miles an hour. He knew that there was a marina on the other side of the lake. It took him half an hour to get there. But as he got closer to the marina, he said, I want somebody to put a face mask on. I want them to get underneath my boat. I think I have a defective prop. When the guy came up from the water, from looking underneath the boat, he almost drowned. Because in his enthusiasm, this young man had unhooked the trailer from his dad's SUV, but he forgot to unhook the trailer from the boat. You say, Jim, did you really just make that up? I actually said this at Cornerstone one time, and a student said, come on, Jim, you you just made that story up. And a woman said, I know that's a true story. It was my nephew who did that. (laughs) Ah, thank you. Now listen, how many of us are trying to go forward in the Christian life, but under the surface... 
We are dragging a trailer of bitterness. It's understandable. You've maybe been really hurt. In childhood, there was neglect or abuse. You say, Jim, if you know what she said to me, if you know what he always says to me, if you knew what it was like with my neighbor at work, I don't know. But I do understand that forgiveness sometimes is hard. That sometimes it takes time. But that forgiveness is like trying to drag a trailer under a speeding boat. And we can't go forward with malice or anger in our life. Now God, again, doesn't just give us commands. He gives us motivation. He gives us an example. Our example, be kind, compassionate, forgiving to one another. Because God in Christ has forgiven you. The example is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Graham is a well-taught church, and so you know 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. There's spiritually what He did for us. I think Christianity is uh, somewhat summed up in this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 22. God made Him, Messiah, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So all of Scripture is looking towards the Lamb of God, who would become sin for sinners. And the Revelation portrays the Lamb of God as seated on a throne, looking as though He has been slain, because for our sins He was. But He's on the throne, because He's King of kings and Lord of lords. Is Jesus your righteousness? Has He become, as 2 Corinthians says to you, righteousness and peace and sanctification and holiness? before our God. We read this morning from Psalm 103 that begins by saying, don't forget all His benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. This is that psalm that says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He put our sins from his face. And Christ's forgiveness is continual. His mercy endures forever. 1 John 1 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one another. This is how the original language reads. And the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us from all sin. Oh, God loves to forgive his people. God is a forgiving God, so how we should be forgiving as well. There's this old sin, uh, not sin, hymn. That was not a senior moment. We call that an intellectual interlude. <laughs> My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, 
is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Amen? I think it was the Puritan hymnist Isaac Watts who wrote, Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effective prayers. They strongly plead for me. Before the throne, my assurance stands. My name is written on his hand. Why would we do the hard work? Sometimes the often repeated work of forgiving others. Because God in Christ has forgiven us. Let's quickly talk about some Bible examples of good forgivers. Um, Joseph of Egypt, little Joe on the Ponderosa, he's got big brothers that are mean. They throw him in a pit. You know the story. He's taken to Egypt as a slave. He's lied about by Mrs. Potiphar. I call her the original desperate housewife. And um, he goes to prison. Now Joseph was 17 when his brothers threw him into a pit. And he at that point had a lot of bitter memories of abuse in his childhood and adolescence. He was 30 when Pharaoh called up for him. And Pharaoh said, I understand you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, no, it's not me, Pharaoh. It's God. And throughout his life, Joseph, with this terribly dysfunctional background shows a resiliency and a kindness that is amazing. How did he do it? We have a little hint in that after he's married and he has two baby boys, he names them in Egyptian names that mean forgiveness and overly blessed. Ephraim and Manasseh. He names his baby boy because he's very much aware that God has forgiven him. And he names his second boy a name that means continually or overly blessed. What a great attitude. David, with all his faults, was the great king of Israel, the sweet poet, warrior of Israel, who was a good forgiver. When Saul, crazy King Saul, made his life miserable, David is running from Saul. He's hiding in caves and living in the woods and he's separate from his family. There's a time in which Saul is in that cave and David could kill him. David's men say, now's your chance. Get your vengeance. Kill him. And David's attitude is, I will not touch God's anointed Oh, the hurt that Saul had done, but oh, the great heart of David. Ruth is a lady who finds herself in a foreign country. Her husband has died. She's a widow. Her mother-in-law is a widow. And Ruth has to somehow take care of her, Naomi. And she takes advantage of the Old Testament law that says, don't uh, glean or reap the corners of the field so that the poor that can work can have something to eat. And throughout the book, Ruth has this incredible attitude of goodness. Not bitterness over her circumstances, but she's blessed. 
because of the grace that she has in her life and she showed to others. Quickly, three current stories. Um, Dorothy Leninger is from Detroit. Uh, I've told you I'm from Detroit and you've forgiven me for that. She experienced what must be the worst of pain that a person could experience in this life. Her little daughter was kidnapped and killed. Dorothy Leninger writes that for years she struggled with bitterness, understandably. But then she started to see some Christian counselors. Then she went to a retreat in which she said she cried good tears. And gradually God gave her grace, not only to forgive the murderer of her daughter, but to go to prison and to minister to him in the name of Jesus. There was a part of India in which in the Hindu culture there wasn't even a word for forgiveness. The concept of forgiveness didn't even have any language to describe it. Christian missionaries went there to dig wells and provide water, and they had a little dispensary where they gave out medicine. But after some time, no Hindus had come to Christ. And then there was a construction accident. Because of the irresponsibility of one of the local Hindu workers, there was a construction accident, and one of the missionaries was killed. The Hindus got together and said, well, now the well diggers are going to leave our country. No more fresh water. They will take the medicine. There'll be no more dispensary. But the Christians got together and they said, now is the time that we have a chance to really let our light shine. And they stayed and they loved on those people. And then people began to come to Jesus. No wonder as they saw forgiveness and the real deal of Christianity lived out, they became followers of Jesus. Not far from here in uh, Ohio, that foreign country called Ohio, was a little girl whose mean old neighbor killed her dog. And as this little girl mourned, she wrote a letter to God that her father found laying out open in her bedroom. It said, Dear God, help me to forgive the mean old man that poisoned my puppy. In Jesus' name, amen. P.S., she wrote, God, some things are hard to understand, aren't they? And it's true. And yet we are to be kind. Loving, forgiving one another even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Many of you know the name Corey Tenboom. She was a courageous little messianic Jewish lady whose entire family died in the concentration camps in World War II. And after the war, Corey Tenboom would go throughout Germany to town halls and schools, and she would lecture on the love of God. One day she looked out and she almost froze in her words as she saw one of the very guards that had been a nightmare to her and who had abused her sister Betsy, who had died. Corey Tenboom writes that she struggled through her Bible talk about forgiveness. And of all things, 
this former Nazi guard came up to her and said, Sister Den Boom, since the war, I have been converted to Jesus Christ. And he said, I know that God forgives me, but I, I need to know that someone like you could forgive someone like me. Now, he didn't realize that Corey had recognized him from the camps. He didn't remember her. And he stuck his hand out. For her to shake his hand is evidence of forgiveness. Corey writes that she cried out in her heart, I can't do it, God. I can't do it. But she said, if you would help me, I'm willing to be willing and to try to raise my hand. There are times in facing temptation, I know I'm not up to facing. I pray, Lord, make me willing to be willing. Yeah, don't look at me judgmentally. You need, you need to pray that way too. Corey said then that she did not shake his hand. She threw her hand, her arms around him and said, I forgive you as God has forgiven me. All right, let's quickly, before we observe the Lord's Supper, talk about the benefits of forgiving others. Here's some pretty important words from the lips of the Lord of eternity, Jesus. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Father in heaven will forgive you. That's pretty serious stuff. Now, we do need to be clear to say that we don't become Christians because we're good forgivers. It's not because we're baptized or we're members or we take communion. You're going to hear me say it several times as I serve you. Christianity is not getting your act together. It's admitting that you don't have your act together and let Jesus become your act. But we will never know the power of forgiveness. We will never experience all the benefits of God's forgiving grace if we're holding on to bitterness. Or what Ephesians 4 says is wrath and anger and clamor and slander. And what is seething bitterness, malice. One of the great benefits of forgiveness is a clear conscience. Paul wrote to Timothy that some people have shipwrecked their Christian life because they let a conscience gradually get defiled. And then others were defiled. I have more to share on this. We'll do it at another Lord's Day, Lord willing. But um, how important that we ask God for the grace to be forgivers so that we can have a clear conscience. Well, you heard the rest of the story of Corey Ten Boom. I want us, as we go to what we call the Lord's Supper communion, I want us to do business about God and asking Him to help us to be good forgivers. You say, Jim, it's hard the way that I've been hurt. I'm sure. But God can give you the freedom of forgiveness. It may be that you need to see a counselor. You may want to sit down with me this week or someone else. But as we come to the Lord's Supper, I want us to be willing to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another,
even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Let's bow our hearts together before the Lord, please. And with our hearts quiet before God. Maybe there's some this morning that simply need to confess and say, Father, I, I've been in the bondage of bitterness. I haven't practiced forgiveness. Lord, help me. Help me to be a good forgiver. Ask God to do that now. We're about to take communion. If, if you've, you're welcome to take communion if you follow Christ and you're sincere about that. But, you know, if you've never been born again, this would be a good moment for you to say, Lord God, I'm a sinner. I receive Christ as my Savior. And so, Holy Father, help us now to honor you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians 11 says that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he said, this bread represents my body, which will be killed for you. This, this juice represents my blood, which will be shed for you. He was actually going back to that last supper with his disciples in which he did a, a strange thing. He took what we call the Passover event from Exodus when God said, when I see the blood of the Lamb, I will pass over you in judgment. Jesus applied it to himself. And the Holy Spirit of God took that and, and inspired the Apostle Paul to say, as often as you decide to do this, come together and eat the bread and drink the cup and remember the purpose of its symbolism. So all are invited to come, a member of Graham Church. You do need to be a member of the body of Christ. And you do need to be sincere about confessing sin, about being willing to forgive. You know, maybe somebody here needs to talk to someone right here from Graham Church after the service and say, I'm sorry. You don't have to go into details. You don't have to say, I was partially at fault. <laughs> you say, I'm sorry. Maybe there's an email that some need to send this week. You just keep it simple. I'm sorry. People will know. But God invites us to forgive because He forgives us.